Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. So this week is Thanksgiving, right? I had some fun memes I was going to share with you, but I couldn't get them downloaded. So you're just going to have to look up your own memes this Thanksgiving, I guess. Um, but yeah, this week is Thanksgiving. Uh, and so I've, I felt... Uh, I felt released to go ahead, obviously, and share about the the word Thanksgiving this morning. I actually preached on this clear back in April uh, when we were on quarantine, when we were just doing a lockdown and we were just doing live stream. Um, and so, so some of this may sound familiar if you watch those live streams. Uh, but I felt the I felt the need to share again this morning this idea of Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving is actually a key into his presence. I'm jumping ahead a little bit this morning, but I'm gonna go ahead and, and share this. Out of Psalms 100, and, uh, Psalms 100, verse four, it says, you can, pass through his, you can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Come bring your thank offering to him and affectionately bless his beautiful name. That thanksgiving is actually the key to entering into his presence. It says that praise is the password into the gates, into his gates. And so Thanksgiving is an incredibly important thing for us as believers, that we walk in Thanksgiving and in gratitude to the Lord. Amen. Let's look here in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. This is... uh, This is the Apostle Paul addressing the church of Philippi. And he says this in verse four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all man that the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There in verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I think it's interesting that Paul has to tell us and give us this command to rejoice. Right? Rejoicing seems like it would be an obvious thing. Nobody, when we had our kids, the doctor didn't have to tap me on the shoulder and say, Josh, now would be a good time to rejoice. Right? Like nobody has to be told to be happy or to have joy or to rejoice. But yet Paul here in this passage is telling us, is actually commanding us to rejoice in the Lord always. In every situation, whether good or bad, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. I looked up that word always there to see if there was any sort of like mystical, any sort of like hidden meaning there. Like maybe Paul like put some kind of secret in here. Maybe it's not we have to rejoice in the bad times. Maybe it's, maybe it's some kind of special time. And to my surprise, that word always there means always. <laughs> There's no special meaning there. It just simply means always, all the time, in every situation, Paul tells us to rejoice. And what makes this passage even more interesting is that while Paul is writing these words, he's writing them with chains on his wrists, sitting in a Roman prison. 
more than likely facing execution. He knows it's coming. He's sitting in prison with chains on his wrists and on his ankles, and he's writing to the church of Philippi to rejoice in every situation, at every moment, at every time. And it, it just takes, takes this thing of Thanksgiving to a whole nother level when you realize that it's not just when the kids are born. It's not just on your wedding day. It's not just on Christmas morning that we rejoice. But in every situation, in every moment, we rejoice. Again, Paul wrote this while in prison. It wasn't when after he had performed some sort of miracle. It wasn't after he had preached to a large crowd and saw them all come to be saved. It wasn't after he had the vision of Jesus that came uh, to him on the, on the road to D Damascus, 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 one of those roads in the old times. Uh, it wasn't during those times that he's writing this. He wrote it while in chains, while in prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But then he goes on in verse six to tell us not only do we, are we expected to rejoice, but he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplica supplication with thanksgiving. Not only are we expected to rejoice, but we're also expected to be thankful in every situation and in every moment to be thankful. When I was thinking about this, it reminded me back of a missions trip that we took in high, when I was in high school in our youth group to Mexico. It was uh, Matamoros, Mexico, just on the border of Texas and Mexico. And uh, I remember several things about this trip. It was incredible. Cam Cameron was there. Holly, were you on that trip? I don't remember. I think it was just Cameron. Obviously, Amber was there. Paul, did you go? I, didn't, I couldn't remember. So there's me and Cam. All right, we're, we're the ones. All right. We, were, we went on this, uh, this trip to Mexico, and uh, the one who led the, the trip was an evangelist. His name was Tim Grisham, um, and so he led us on this trip, and I remember a couple things about it. I remember one moment where, uh, we, we, let me give you some more context here before I jump into the story. So we went to Mexico, uh, but in this, this city of Matamoros, there was this the city dump, um, and when I say the city dump, I mean literally the city dump. Uh, it was where all of the trash went and went. And Cameron was telling me, we were kind of reminiscing on this uh, a little earlier, uh, that it's actually where they would take their sewage as well and dump it in a river that flew through here. And uh, not really great living conditions, right? But people were actually living here in the city dump. Uh, very poor, very poverty stricken. The roads were all just complete mud pits. Uh, and the houses were literally sheds, just like little sheds. And that was for the ones who were lucky enough to have the shed. And so just a very uh, dilapidated part of the city. Uh, very, uh, you, you, as you knew when you were getting close because the smell from the dump and from the sewage plant was, was just awful. And so this is, this is the area we were going in to minister to. And uh, I remember one day, uh, we, we were there, we were putting on vacation Bible school for the kids, and then we were also building another house, a little, another, uh, we called it a house. Again, it was more like a, like a larger shed uh, for this family. And so that was what we were doing there in the, in the city. And I remember we were there working, and it came to be lunchtime, and we were all starving, we were hungry. And um, Tim had brought 
back a bunch of McDonald's meals for all of us to eat. So we're all pumped, like we're going to get some McDonald's, going to get some stomach aches a little bit later because we ate McDonald's, but hey, it's, it's food, right? So they bring McDonald's and they give us all a bag and uh, we're all about to, to dig into the bags. And Tim goes, before you do that, I'm going to give you an opportunity here. And as he said, it's completely your choice. He said, you can either go ahead and eat your meal with no judgment at all, or you can go find somebody here in this, here in this uh, community and give your meal to them and, uh, because they don't get things like McDonald's on a regular basis. And so, you know, a group of teenagers, one of them, one of the goody two-shoes decided to go and do it. So then we all had to, you know, we, if we'd look bad if we weren't the one. No, I'm kidding. We, we wanted to, you know, so, so we did. We went out and handed these, these meals to uh, these people, to the, to the kids especially, because I think they were Happy Meals uh, with the toy and everything. And the joy that was on these kids' face when we handed them these meals was just, was just unbelievable. It was, it, Cam and I were talking that it, it's just something that's ingrained in our memories forever uh, to see the joy on these kids' faces. And so uh, that, that was just a side note of the story. The real story I want to tell you is this that goes along with the message. I'm getting real bad feedback if I stand there. Are you guys hearing that too or is it just the monitor? Just a little bit? Okay. Um, so, so like I was saying, we, we were in Morris in this community and we were putting on vacation Bible school during the day for the kids. And then another group would go uh, to another part of the community. And they were, they were constructing, building this house for this family. And so half of us would be there and we would switch up on the days uh, we were doing it. Um, and as, as this is a very important note too, as you drove into the community, every morning we were greeted by this three-legged donkey that we, we named Stumpy. So... So every morning we'd pull into the community and there's on this corner, every time we were there, every day of the week, there was this three-legged donkey named Stumpy. And so we would, you know, we'd say, wave to Stumpy, say hi every morning. Well, on one of the last days we were there, we pulled into the community and there was no Stumpy. We're like, oh, Stumpy's gone. You know, I wonder where Stumpy went. So, you know, we didn't think much of it, you know, so we went on. I luckily was in vacation Bible school this day. And another group had gone to the uh, to work on the to work on the house, and now another little more bit of context. Tim, the evangelist that took us there, had kind of given us some instruction on how to uh, fit in culturally to the community there. And one of the instructions he gave us was that if somebody offers you food, you eat it, right? And he said, "Now watch me closely because if I don't eat it, there's a reason why." You're not supposed to. So if I eat it, then you eat it. If I don't eat it, then you don't eat it. Okay? So the, the construction crew shows up to the job, and the family w just was so appreciative of what we were doing, and they wanted to bless us in some way. So they, they made, the, the mom of the family made these burritos, these special burritos for the crew working that day. So they, they get the burrito, and they're just not sure about it. Keep in mind, Stumpy is missing. So people start, start putting together, connecting the dots. You know, how did they afford any kind of meat? Wait, Stumpy's not here. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we're eating Stumpy right now. <laughs> and so, so they, they all, all eyes go to Tim. And Tim takes a bite of the burrito. So they're all like, okay. 
So they all begin eating the burrito. And, and listen, I'm thankful. My heart was thankful because I was in vacation Bible school that morning. But poor Cameron was not. So he eats the burrito, and, and, and he said it was one of the worst things he had ever put in his mouth. But they went ahead and ate it because Tim ate it. But what Tim did not tell them until later was that he went around the shed, around the house, after he took that bite and threw it all out in the garbage while the rest of them all ate the burrito and ended up with other special kind of symptoms later on in the day, if you catch my drift. So <laughs> Stumpy went missing. The burrito showed up. You, you do the math. That's all I'm saying there. But what was, what was crazy about that mission trip, and one of the things, I, again, I'll never forget, is watching those, those uh, people, those, those people living in such poverty, watching them during the worship service, giving their all to Jesus. And, you know, we, we took another missions trip to Mexico the year before that. Uh, and we went to Mexicali and Tijuana and we put on little conferences in the street and had worship. And to watch these, these people who are living in extreme poverty, some of them not having any. I remember in, in that particular city there in uh, Matamoros, I remember one little girl who didn't have any clothes. We had to provide clothes for her. And it just such poverty. But they would give their all in worship. They would, they would worship the Lord. They would put so many of us to shame with their worship and their thanksgiving to the Lord. And I was just like, how, how does somebody who is living in such poverty and struggling so deeply, how is it that they give such thanksgiving and rejoicing to the Lord? And this is what I realized. Our ability to rejoice and be thankful is not fueled by our circumstance, but rather it is fueled by the goodness of God. That our our thanksgiving to the Lord should not be fueled by what is happening around us, but it is simply fueled by his goodness and who he is. And because of that, we can always rejoice in every situation and in every moment because he is always good and he never changes. I know some of you, as I look out in the room here, some of you have dealt with some extremely heavy things in your life. I know, I know I can look out and see many of you. I'm looking at the Harners. I'm looking at um, some different family members here who have dealt with, with cancer and with, with, uh, with just, just struggles with cancer, with sickness, with illnesses. There's some even now going on with that. I know some of you have struggled with finances. You've struggled with just different things in your life that are, that are extremely heavy and painful. And I'm sure Paul, when he was in prison, wasn't real thrilled that he was in prison. I'm sure he wasn't real happy that, that he at any moment could be taken out of that prison and executed. But he still says, rejoice in every situation. Always rejoice in the Lord. These things do not determine our peace. Instead, let his goodness fuel your rejoicing. Be thankful that he hears your request. He shares your pain. He never leaves you. And then it says, I love how that verse ends. It says, then the peace that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. 
that when we can get our minds off of our situation and we can still remain in joy and rejoicing and we can still remain in thanksgiving, then when we do all of that, then it says that the peace that surpasses understanding. And, and I know it, what's amazing about that is when it says surpasses, that means that there's circumstances that would mean in the, in the um, natural that would cause us not to want to be at peace. But it's a peace that surpasses understanding. It guards your heart and mind when you remain in thanksgiving in every circumstance. Amen? I want to read this, this next story to you. A very familiar story out of Luke chapter 17. Open it up here. Luke 17. We're going to start in verse, uh, verse 11. It says, Jesus traveled on towards Jerusalem and passed through the border region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered one village, 10 men approached him, but they kept their distance for they were lepers. These guys were the original gangsters of social distancing. They were doing it before it was cool, right? They were the lepers uh, in the community, so they kept their distance. Uh, so it says that they shouted out to him, being Jesus, Mighty Lord, our wonderful master, won't you have mercy on us and heal us? When Jesus stopped to look at them, he spoke these words, Go and be examined to the Jewish priest. So we can see here at this, this part of the story that at first the ten lepers' approach is good. In fact, uh, Brian Simmons, who translated uh, the Passion Translation, he has a footnote there that says that word master there is not the ordinary word for master, but instead the word that they use there, master, actually indicates someone who is supernatural. Someone who is beyond ordinary, someone who is elevated is what that word there means. So they actually recognize the supernatural aspect of Jesus. They recognize that he is different from the other teachers, from the other religious leaders. And so right here in the beginning, their approach is actually really good. They're crying out to him, recognizing that he is more than, than, the, than the normal person. And so they've already elevated him there. So right at first, their approach is good. So Jesus tells them to uh, go and be examined by the Jewish priest, which was the custom of those day, of that day, that if you were healed from leprosy, you'd go and present yourself to the priest so that they can call you cleansed. And, uh, and then you would offer then a thanksgiving uh, on the altar to the Lord. So that was the custom. So it says they set off and they were healed while walking along the way. One of them, a foreigner from Samaria, when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to find Jesus, shouting out joyous praises and glorifying God. When he found Jesus, he fell down at his feet and thanked him over and over, saying to him, you are the Messiah. This man was a Samaritan. So they were, so, so where are the other nine? Jesus asked. Weren't there 10 who were healed? They all refused to return and give thanks and give glory to God, except you, a foreigner from Samaria. Then Jesus said to the healed man lying at his feet, arise and go. It was your faith that brought your salvation and healing. So their approach started out good, right? But it says then that only one of them, when he realized he was healed, turned around, fell at Jesus' feet, and began thanking him and giving him glory for what he had done. And Jesus looks around and says, where are the other nine? 
And there's some couple things about this passage that really scares me. One of them is this, that even though only one turned around to give thanks to Jesus, all of them remained healed. Though only one turned around and appropriately responded, all 10 of them remained healed. All of them kept their healing. And this is why that makes me nervous. If they were able to keep their healing, even though their response was not right, how many of us are walking around enjoying the benefits of the Father, but not appropriately responding? How many of us are enjoying the, the benefits of the blessing of the Lord, the benefits of knowing Jesus, but we're not appropriately responding. And here's what ends up happening when that happens. We become entitled, selfish children. We become entitled, selfish children, never turning around and reciprocating praise for the goodness of the Father. And here's the deal. They kept their healing because he is a good father. He wasn't going to give them something and then take it back. He was a good father, yet they still did not return and give him the glory that he deserves. And because of that, they, beca they became entitled and selfish taking but never responding appropriately. And I wonder how many of us are entitled Christians. We expect God to hear us and to answer our prayers. We expect God to perform miracles for us. We expect God to bless us financially, to bless our families, for his presence to fall on our house. Yet we can't even spend five minutes with him out of our day. Yet when we come in here into a worship service, we have a hard time focusing or giving him 20 minutes of the service because we can't keep ourselves focused enough because maybe we don't like the song or we don't like the, 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 the style or whatever it may be. And we become entitled children expecting the benefits of knowing God without turning around and, and giving him thanksgiving and giving him honor and praise and appropriately responding. How many of us are walking around as entitled children, selfish, and not returning the praise that he so deserves? Amen? They didn't lose their healing because he is good, and he gives just like it says in the word, he says he gives rain to the just and on the unjust. But just, but as I look at these nine who walked away healed because of the goodness of God, yet ungrateful, it makes me wonder how often I do the same. I love this thought here. His blessing is not necessarily his approval. Let me say that one more time. His blessing is not necessarily his approval. Just like bad circumstances are not necessarily his disapproval. What's happening in your life, your circumstances, what's going on right now is not necessarily God's hand of approval or disapproval on how you are responding and how you are living, right? It rains on the just and on the unjust. Blessings can come to you even if you are not living appropriately. 
And this is obvious. You look at different people who are living just morally degenerate lives, yet they're, they're financially blessed and their lives are going well and the lives are going good. And then you look at other people who are faithful Christians, faithfully serving the Lord, and they have things happening in their lives that, that are just horrible things, that are difficult, painful things. So his approval is not based on what's happening in your life. His approval and disapproval is not based on the blessing that you have or what's the circumstance that you have that's bad or negative, that, that you can actually be blessed and still living wrong. And can you actually be living right and still having, having difficult things happen in your life? So his blessing is not necessarily his approval, just like bad circumstances are not necessarily his disapproval. So that's, that's why this passage scares me. How many of us are living blessed, thinking we are living right because of the blessing, but in reality, we are walking around as entitled children? The other thing about this that makes me nervous when I read this story is there in verse 16, it says that this man who did turn around and fell at Jesus' feet and responded appropriately. It says that this man was a Samaritan. This man was a Samaritan. The other nine were Jews. And this one man was a Samaritan. Now, I've shared this many times before. Uh, the Samaritan in those days was looked at as the half-breed, as the one who was not welcomed in to the family, who was not welcomed into the kingdom of God. They were the ones who were considered morally degenerate people. But it was him, the Samaritan, who turned and offered thanks, thanksgiving to the Lord. And the other nine, the Jews, the chosen people, the ones who grew up reciting the Torah, memorizing scripture, going every week to the synagogue to offer sacrifices and praise. It was those people who forgot to turn around and reciprocate praise. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that as you read the Gospels, that's usually the way it is. It's the prostitute. It's the tax collector. It's the morally degenerate ones that offer their extravagant worship to God. And it is the Jews, the one who are supposedly the religious elite, the ones who supposedly live their life completely wholly given over to God. It is them that Jesus has to look at and call hypocrites and broods of vipers. And the ones that you see throughout the entire gospel, those are the ones he's constantly having to rebuke and set straight. And what scares me is this, as, as I think about my life and as I look throughout our congregation, what I see is mostly people who fall probably more into the category of the Jews, the chosen people, the ones who have really never done anything super bad in their lives that for the most part have lived extremely good, moral, Christian lives. The ones who have gone to church and grew up there their entire lives. And what, I'm, what I see happen, and I know this happens because it happens in my own life, is that when you live that life, when you have lived so long in the Christian world, the Christian bubble, what ends up happening is you become numb to the goodness of God. 
You become numb to the fact that Jesus had to die on the cross to save you from your sin. You become numb to the idea that you were lost in darkness and he has brought you into his marvelous light. And I think for the Samaritan, for the prostitute, for the tax collector, for those maybe who have been lost in alcohol, for those who have been lost in drugs, for those who have, have not lived perfect lives, for them, they understand how good the Father is because they know how dark the dark is. And because of that, they offer extravagant worship and praise. There's a story, another story in, uh, I believe it's in Luke, of Jesus sitting at the table with a Pharisee. And they're talking back and forth. And, and, and this, all of a sudden, this woman, this, this woman that's known as a prostitute, walks in and begins washing Jesus' feet. Do you all know this story? Begins washing Jesus' feet and offering extravagant worship. Let me, let me read, actually, I have a little excerpt from that. It's out of Luke 7. So she begins washing Jesus' feet and the Pharisee looks at Jesus and he's like, do you know what kind of woman this is that's washing your feet? And Jesus says this in verse 47, it says, she has been forgiven all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Here's the mistake we often make. We think that because we haven't lived morally bankrupt lives, that the grace that was given us was small. Because we haven't lived morally bankrupt lives, we think that the grace that was given to us was small. Don't make the mistake of thinking your sins are somehow less than those of others. Don't make the mistake of thinking your sins are somehow less of those than others. I don't care if you have never done drugs, never had sex before marriage, never said a swear word. The wages of sin, any sin, is still death. I think often we make the mistake that just because we've lived really basically good lives, that we've come to church every Sunday, that we read our Bible every now and then, that because we're not alcoholics or drug addicts or living some promiscuous life, sometimes we think that because we're not in those, then we don't have much to be forgiven of, but the very opposite is true that we were on our way to hell just as much as the prostitute was on our way to hell. That we needed the blood of Jesus as desperately as the drug addict needs the blood of Jesus. That our worship and our thanksgiving should be no less extravagant than the prostitutes. The wages of sin, all sin, of lying, of cheating, of, of living as a hypocrite. All sin, the wages of sin is still death every time and we are in desperate need of Jesus and his cross. Don't be like those nine who were entitled 
and who thought, well, I've, I've been good all my life and I, I'm grateful for the healing, but then do not appropriately respond to his goodness. Don't be like the Jews. Be like the Samaritan who realizes the darkness you were in and realizes the goodness of the Father to pull you out of that darkness and then to turn around and offer extravagant worship and praise. Thank you, Father. You know, the one thing, the one thing that those Jews did not receive, even though they received healing, I do believe there is one thing that they didn't receive. And I already read you the scripture out of Psalms 104. It says that it is through praise that we can enter into his gates. It's through, the, it's through thanksgiving that his presence is manifested. So yeah, those guys may have walked away with healing and that's wonderful and that's good, but they lost the most important and most valuable possession they could ever have and that is his presence. I would take his presence any day over what he can give me over every blessing he can hand me, over any healing, over any, any uh, financial thing that he could bless me with, I would take his presence any day over any of those things. And the Bible is clear that there is one way to enter into his presence, and that is through thanksgiving. That is through a humble heart that comes to him in humility and in worship and praise. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and stand with me for a moment. Father, I just want to thank you for your scripture that gives us this instruction that thanksgiving is the way into your presence. That it's through gratitude that we enter into your gates. Father, I'm, I, I'm thankful that, that even though... Um, that even though we, we may have, have in times past walked away entitled, God, I thank you that this morning, God, you're going to come with this spirit of thanksgiving. Jesus, as we enter into this week of thanksgiving, Father, I pray that this week there would be such a grace for us to reciprocate praise to you, Father. God, that, that, that our mind would not be numb to your goodness, that we would remember everything that you have, have done for us in the past and are doing for us even now. God, in that because of that, we would turn and respond appropriately in worship and praise. God, I pray for a grace to rejoice in every circumstance and in every situation. God, we, we already prayed over many this morning who are dealing with different uh, health issues. God, I pray that for those this morning that are dealing with health issues and others who are dealing with loss right now, of loss of family members, God, that even though they're in a time of mourning or they're even in maybe for those who are sick, they're in a time of just battling for their health. God, I pray that in the midst of those situations that their anchor would be thanksgiving that their anchor would be the goodness of the Father. Jesus, in, that in the midst of their situation right now, God, that they would be able to turn and rejoice in the goodness of Jesus. 
Father, fill our hearts with thanksgiving. Forgive us, Lord, if we've been entitled Christians, if we've walked around expecting to walk in all of your blessings, but have yet to turn around, fall at your feet, and offer extravagant worship and praise. God, I pray you would humble our hearts this morning. Humble our hearts this morning, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I want to just take a few moments as Paul begins to lead us in a song. And uh, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond in thanksgiving. And so whatever that looks like for you, if this altar is open, if you want to come up to the front, if you want to stay right where you're at, that's just fine as well. But whatever you do, I want to just take a moment and just posture our hearts in in an attitude and in a way of thanksgiving. And just take a few moments. Maybe maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're good at this this thing of thanksgiving. Maybe you do reciprocate well and you respond well to his goodness. Then go ahead and just take this moment and continue on with that. But maybe you're here this morning and you're you're listening to this and you're one of those who maybe you're realizing, man, I have maybe been an entitled Christian. I have become numb to the goodness of God. I have become numb to the uh, the things that he has done for me. And, and, and I, I just need to readjust my heart this morning and humble myself and be like the Samaritan and come back and offer extravagant worship and praise and thanksgiving. Then I want to give you that opportunity this morning to just make that heart adjustment. Just make that heart adjustment this morning and just humble yourself and begin to offer the Lord the thanksgiving that he is due. In the Old Testament, Moses is standing before the Israelites and uh, they've been through this whole long journey coming out of Egypt. They uh, went, they've been spending years in the desert, God providing meals for them, providing water, providing shade uh, during the day and providing the fire during the night to guide them. All of these things. And, and Moses is standing in front of the Israelites and he's looking back on all that God has done. And he tells the Israelites this. He says, remember, remember everything the Father has done. Remember how he pulled us out of bondage. Remember how he parted the seas so we could walk through. Remember as we walk through on dry ground that our enemies, he, he stopped our enemies behind us. Remember how he fed us in the desert with the manna. Remember how he kept us cool with the shade during the day and lit the fire at night to guide us and to keep us warm. Remember everything he has done for you. And what I want to tell you this morning, the way into thanksgiving is through remembering. Don't forget where he has led you, what he has led you out of and what he has led you to. Again, I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing people who have been through some difficult things, been through cancer, been through loss of loved ones. Remember through all of that, how the Lord was with you right by your side, that he never left you, he never forsook you, that he held your hand through all that. Even though there was mourning, he never left your side. And he, he not only didn't leave your side, he joined you in the mourning. He let the pain you were experiencing 
enter into him so he could experience it with you and carry that weight with you. Never forget that. Some of you have, have come from dark pasts. Robert, I'm, I know we, I don't want to pick on you like we always do, but Robert dealing with the, the alcoholism and the things he dealt with, and Jesus has brought him out of that. And now he is walking in total freedom. Never forget what Jesus has brought you out of. The path into thanksgiving is remembering what he has done. So Jesus, we look back, we look at all the things you brought us out of, all the things you walked through this life with us, that you have brought us from darkness into marvelous light. God, and as we look back, it's easy for us to give you extravagant worship and extravagant praise. That even through the difficult seasons of life, you never left us and you never forsook us. Father, we offer our gratitude and thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. I have this one last thought I was thinking when I was writing this message this, this week. And uh, I was thinking how you know, most, most of the time as Christians, we, we thank God before a meal, right? And I have a confession to make. As a family, sometimes we forget to do that. We don't sit down at the meal and we just start eating and we're like, oh, nobody prayed. You know, and, and, and you know, that doesn't make us bad Christians, right? But the, the, reason, the reason I'm bringing that up is, is I feel like sometimes as Christians, we, we, uh, our only form of thanksgiving is a prayer before a meal. I don't want to live a life where the only time I thank God is through a ritualistic prayer before a meal. But my life is a thanksgiving offering to him. Everything that I do, every moment of every day, I'm offering him thanksgiving and praise with a humble heart. So Jesus, we want to live our lives of, of thanksgiving and honor and praise. We remember everything you've done for us. God, we enter into your presence through the key of thanksgiving. We honor you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we go into thanksgiving this week, I want, I want you to take some time this week and just remember everything he's done for us and go throughout this entire week just offering praise to the Lord and reciprocating the thanksgiving that he deserves, amen? I hope you guys' meal is as good as mine's gonna be. Because it's gonna be good, I'm sure. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we are gonna go ahead and tear down everything. So if you